those at home, thank you for being here with us. Lord bless you. And uh, I just hope you can enter into this service today with just a sense that, that God is with you in your living room or in your car or wherever you are. We've had a good service here. We hope you can join us sometime. But if you can't join us, we understand that. Be blessed. Keep serving the Lord. Communicate with us when you're able to do that. And so, Lord bless you real good. So we're going to have a time of worship with Pastor Brock here in just a moment and the team. Lord bless you. Amen. Well, thank you for being the encouragement to one another and be, for being here today in the presence of the Lord. And I hope that we can engage the Scripture today in a way that God's Holy Spirit will use to speak to us today. I want to tell you a little story. And it sort of came out of last weekend's that, you know, that beautiful hot snap. By the way, as we start, there are some beautiful flowers here at the front and some behind me. And that is from, thank you, David, for uh, Tina's graveside that was yesterday. And uh, God gave us perfect weather in the midst of a day that didn't have all perfect weather. And that was a perfect hour that we were there. And so thank you for the beautiful flowers to remember Tina and to uh, honor. And we're still praying for you, David. Um, there was a hot snap. Do you remember that first hot snap? Did that ever spoil us, right? That was, uh, that was amazing. And then for it to get cold right away, it was just a reminder of how beautiful that was. Well, I went inside and uh, I said, Don, I think, I think I heard the grass grow. I, I'm, I think I did. I, I listened and, and I just thought, I, I can hear it growing. I can hear it. And, and we laughed about that. And then I got sort of imagining that a little bit. And I thought, you know, that's it. Because I, I go in, I think I hear it grow. I look around, nothing's happened. I go in, I look out the window, and it's taller. And so then I got imagining, this is what happens. I go in, and then one of the head blades of grass goes, okay, everybody's not looking. Everybody's and they all stretch and they get holler and you go out and you look and it's taller and we had a good laugh about that today we want to talk to you about the issue of grumbling and uh, its effect on our life so I got thinking sort of like growing grass we may not be able to immediately perceive the effects of a grumbling spirit and we'll talk a little bit more about that, what that looks like. Uh, but its effects will emerge, and it will grow, and it will rob us of blessing and potential in our life. I wanted to put up a quote by Billy Graham here. Grumbling and gratitude are, for the child of God, in conflict. Be grateful, and you won't grumble. Grumble, and you won't be grateful. And so there's, there's just that interesting tension when the Bible says in anxiety, thanksgiving is part of the process or part of the remedy of God to overcome anxiety. That's why, because those two things are in conflict and gratitude has a way of taking us out of the mindsets that come with grumbling. It robs us of our courage. As I've been thinking about it this week, and I've been thinking in the Exodus, we're going to be in, in the Exodus a little bit. You can't not think about it because they were a grumbling people in many ways. Grumbling infects the hearers of it. Its infection can deflate the resolve of entire groups of people. 
You can have a, a, you can have a direction that's going, and, and a grumbling spirit will shut it down. It lives in the realm of discontent and in anxiety, not in the realm of think on these things. It's not in the list that, that Paul gave us in Philippians 2 to think on these things in, on, in the list. It is negative. It can be full of doubt, full of unbelief. It inhibits true potential. And it's accusatory in nature. Within grumbling can be held the judgmentalism and blame against others and even against God. It can fail to take responsibility and turn every circumstance into an opportunity to be the victim rather than to move out of that victim posture. Grumbling at the least is unpleasant and at the most is absolutely the opposite of faith and righteousness in our life. And it was a serious issue that God had with his people that they grumbled. In Exodus, um, when they grumbled, it resulted in some very severe correction and sometimes disqualification from God's very best for them. So I had some questions about grumbling as we just sort of wrap our minds around this this morning. Should we never criticize? Is that what this is about? I mean, situations or circumstances? I mean, is this all about just uh, pasting some kind of a smile on our face and never have a place to download? Is that what this is about? And I don't believe it is. I, I had an opportunity to sit with a friend lately and been going through really difficult times. It doesn't have maybe a lot of safe places to to verbalize what he's going through and to download. And so um, I, it was really it was really cute. Actually, uh, we know each other well. He goes, "All right, can we do the cone of silence thing?" Some of you get that, and it tells our age. Cone of silence. I said, "Absolutely." Well, we went into the cone of silence, and boy, I'll tell you, did he process? I mean, he has a lot going on. And I was able to be a part of that. And it wasn't always pretty, but it didn't need to be pretty. He needed to talk out some of those things. And I was able to, to feel some of the burdens and share some of the burdens with him. And I, I was so honored to do that. And I believe he left heightened in his spirit, and I left heightened in my spirit. Can you imagine having a conversation? It had a lot of negativity to it. But it wasn't given in a negative way. And so then we have to wrestle with, what is grumbling then? What, what, is, what is the difference? How does this work? Is it really about pasting a smile of denial over every harsh circumstance and pretend that everything's okay? No, I don't believe it is. It's about avoiding the pitfalls of ongoing negative thoughts and attitudes that can take root in our heart. It's about finding and living in hope in spite of our circumstances and trusting God. It's about avoiding the bitter ledge where we get stuck in that victim-blaming mode of faithlessness. It's about living in reality without embracing cynicism and habitual unbelief. It's about trust that God is working all things for good to those that love the Lord. I have a Joyce Myers quote, and we're going to, we need to hear God's quotes most of all, right? But 
It's about when doubt comes against us, we have to lift up the shield of faith. We do this when we open our mouth and say that God's word, what God's Word says, rather than grumbling and complaining about the problem. Because grumbling and complaining is not speaking God into that situation. And that's what we've got to do. We're back in the wilderness, okay? And um, we're in Exodus. And we remember what's happening in Exodus. God has a people. And He's building them. He had already cut covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I, and I use the word cut covenant because we just forget covenants are always about blood. And, uh, and yes, wedding ceremonies are the wedding covenant. And we just have made it a little bit more sanitized and we do things like rain, rings rather than scars that show our identity to one another. But they have cut covenant. God has entered into covenant with Abraham. The 70 members of Jacob's family, imagine that. You know, lately I've been sort of able to parachute as a pastor into different families. And it's amazing to just see kids and sometimes grandchildren and, and spouses that didn't exist before, and now here they are. So 70 people go into Egypt with Jacob, and now they're over a million, maybe two million strong. They've known nothing but slavery. So the, the entire cycle of life and death has happened over and over again. They have lived in slavery, and that's all that they know other than the stories from long ago of Jehovah. God rescuing Jacob is not really a surprise to us because we know the story so well. But if they really embraced their past, they would begin to see that it, it wasn't really a surprise because they were in covenant with God. Uh, Genesis 15:1. do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. And so Father Abraham had a promise, and boy, it took a while. It took a while, but God came through. And so these slaves, they were special. God had entered relationship with them, and God had purposes for them. So to Abraham, let's put up Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Um, to Abraham, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's quite a promise, isn't it? All people on earth will be blessed because of you. So this bedraggled, beaten down population of slaves they would bless the world. Messiah would come through them. They were the incubators of the promise of God. His rescue plan for the world. We stand here today and we sing a song, Jesus, all for Jesus. And His people, those slaves who He took out of bondage, they were the incubator of the coming of Messiah and the coming of Christ. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In the seeming endless heat and boredom of the desert, it had to be so difficult to perceive 
that God had a greater purpose. And when we're in the middle of our circumstances, and we're in the middle, we're in the valleys of life, and we can't see over the mountains of, of problem and mountains of challenge. It's hard for us to see, but God is working, and God was working with them. We often can't see His purposes. On the mountain in Exodus 19, God begins to reveal His purposes. And let's put those up. Exodus chapter 19, starting with verse 3. This is what you are to say. So this is God speaking with Moses. This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. Now, I just think it's pretty significant. He, he, he in the first phrase, uses two different names to describe them. The, the one is the house of Jacob, such humble beginnings, and then immediately graduates to the people of Israel. They had become a nation from the 70 they had grown from back in those Egypt beginning days. And so verse 4, you yourself have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. It's just such a, a tender phrase. We remember Jesus going to Jerusalem and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you had only known, I would have protected you like a hen protects her chicks. Remember that? So there's this tenderness here. I carried you on eagle's wings. The imagery of being carried and Yahweh lovingly carrying them to safety. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. See, there's that word. There's the covenant. The covenant was an agreement that was made between two parties. And God had cut covenant with Abram. And it came with blessings and cursings. It, it, there was blessings. If you keep the covenant, if I enter into a covenant with you, man, if we keep this covenant, it goes to our kids. What is mine is yours, and what is yours is mine. I'll be there for you. You'll be there for me. We exchange. Well, in the cutting process, they would li literally leave a scar. And so if I met somebody and they were going to come against me, I'd say, listen, if you come against me, you're coming against my covenant partner, Justin, and he has a scar too. And this is sort of the branding that we're in covenant with one another. And so when somebody sees my ring, you, you know that wedding rings come in pairs, right? When you see a ring, somebody's on the other end of that because I'm in covenant. I've cut covenant with someone, and if you mess with me, you mess with someone else, and her name is Dawn, and vice versa. We're in covenant with one another. We've identified with one another. And so they are, and you begin to see the the power of this, if you obey me fully and keep the covenant, walk in this covenant that has been cut, there are such incredible blessings. There was always a penalty when you entered into these covenants because, man, if you don't keep them, it's not going to go well. It's, it's, it's going to be horrible because keeping the covenant to the extent of the blessing is always the extent of the potential disappointment in anything in life. And so, obey me, walk with me. And you will be, if you do this, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to Israelites. So they'd be a treasured possession. They're valuable. They're loved by God. A kingdom of priests. Well, let me put up here what God had said to Jacob in Genesis 35, 11. And God said to him, Jacob, years before, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. 
Um, there, there was so much that God had invested for the future in them. And then he says, they'll be a holy nation, a set-apart people. Uh, Israel was to be separate and distinct like their God was holy, separate, and distinct. And uh, remember the famous phrase that Moses had, don't send us up without your presence, because if your presence doesn't go with us, what will distinguish us from the other people on the face of the earth? What makes us different? Our talents? No. Our, our person? No. It's our God. We have a God who, who is all. And, and that's what makes all the difference. They would become mediators of God's grace to the nations of the earth. And this helps us understand who we are. This helps us understand who we are as followers of Christ. Let's put up 1 Peter 2, 5. You also, like living stones. So this is Peter to the, to the church. The Holy Spirit has come and the church has been inaugurated. God's, God's bride here on earth. And we are his bride. You're being built into a spiritual house. These are words to us. We're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, it it speaks not only to the, we think in the Western culture, very much individual, but most often the Bible, it's the body life. And so you is, is His body. Us together, when we join together in the corporate nature, it's very important. We are the body of Christ, worshiping Him. And you are the body of Christ. And you are a spiritual house that God dwells in. And by His Spirit, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God dwells in us. And we, therefore, are like priests in the world. And what was the job of the priests? They were the intermediaries. They were the ones who brought the people to God. And when Jesus died and the veil was torn, now we are the priests indwelled by His Holy Spirit. And we are the ambassadors for God. And and we, we rub shoulders in the world and we introduce them to Jesus. And so we become priests. Um, A holy nation. He's speaking to us again, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may what? Why are we the holy priesthood? Why are we the holy nation? Why are we the chosen people? To declare the praises, to declare his praises. So we've we've been declaring his praises here in this room. Sometimes it's a little hard to get outside of the walls. We're on camera today and we'll be posting that. And so some of you out there, it's going to be it's going to be sort of pushed out there to you in your kitchens or cars or living rooms or wherever you are. But we are to declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. God was raising up a people then, and He's raising up a people now. He redeemed them, and they would be distinct from all the other people on the earth. But it would take time. What? It would take time for them to know the character, the attributes of their God. The New Testament tells us when we come to Christ, that He predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. So when we come, He he died so we could be redeemed. But He died so that we could be redeemed and transformed so that we could be made into His image. He modeled for us 
what it means to walk in this world. And that's scary because we look at the life of Christ and we go, wow, I did not look like Jesus last week when I did that. And he calls us back and he calls us back. It'll take time. And it was going to take time for these slaves because they still thought like slaves. They were physically free, but spiritually and emotionally, there was a lot of bondage that was still there. They had seen the power of Jehovah. They'd experienced the care of Yahweh. But like a determined child, they struggled. They struggled to trust the heart of God. They, they struggled to trust the character of God. Have you ever, ever tried to earn the trust of somebody? Have you ever tried to earn the trust? Sometimes children just throw all their trust inordinately. And other times, a child, they sort of go into a little bit of a shell. And you just so have to so gently earn and and develop that trust. They struggled to trust the heart and character of God. And their hearts would often be hardened. And God was there to soften their hearts so that they could trust and they could love and they could worship and they could follow Him and know that He would bring good in their life. Healing and testing and living out this salvation to take them from point A to point B to point C in their lives. So, last week, we heard this holy nation in the wilderness, and we sang our song last week, right? Uh, The tambourines and the singing, they were on the other side of the the Red Sea and Egypt. Uh, They had finally been avenged for what took place in those ancient days. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. And they sang the song Exodus 15 that we had so much fun learning about last week. God came through and they found their voice of praise. But it's sort of sad when you read through it. And this has been part of our reading here for the last few weeks, by the way, in our journaling or our journal reading time as a church. But they immediately, we hear something else. And it's the same people, but it's the sound of grumbling. That's what we hear. They grumbled in Exodus 15.24. The people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? That was Days, three days from from the 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 praise song point, where when they finally left there, and, and they and they grumbled when they went into the desert of Shur because we go into deserts, and deserts are hard, and wilderness experiences are not necessarily fun, but God was trying to teach these people that He could be trusted. He had done so much for them already, but it was so difficult. They grumbled in Exodus 16:2 in their desert, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Imagine what they're saying. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve. And, and God had provided water miraculously for them. And, and now they're they're grumbling again. They grumble in Numbers 14 when the ten spies spread a bad report about the promised land. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And by the way, it's very clear when they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, they were grumbling against God. And so, boy, that that sort of shows how careful we have to be. That, That we can be showing disdain for God sometimes and uh, we have to sort of check our hearts and say, okay, uh, all right, am I downloading or am I really just 
having a good grumble session against God that he can't? Is this doubt and unbelief, or is this working out my salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you to will and obey his good? You know, we have to keep asking ourselves these questions. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Okay, Numbers 14.1. It says, That night all the people of the community raised their voices, wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. If only we died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? So we're talking some heavy-duty grumbling here. They were, they were experts at it. They had the gift of grumbling. And, I, and like John Wesley had a lady come up to him and said, she goes, I have the gift of speaking my, my mind. And the, the famous quote, he says, Madam, I think that is one gift you could easily keep in your pocket. You know, so that was his big thing. <laughs> um, they refused to embrace the new reality of their new position. They were a treasure possession, a kingdom of a priest, a holy nation, Jehovah, Yahweh, God, as their protector. And so I, I think this informs the concept, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing when Jesus goes to heal the man by the pool and he asks them the question, do you want to get well? I think that was the 38 year, anyway, I didn't look that up, but he'd been there a long, long time. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? And, and in your mind when you hear that, you're, oh man, he's 38 years and he hasn't been able, of course he does. But I'll tell you what, there are responsibilities and the privileges that come with those and here they were. They were out of Egypt. They had longed to be out of Egypt. But now they were whining and groaning and grumbling. They despised God. In other words, their grumbling spirit turned to contempt. And there's the danger point. There's a point where we have to be careful because our, our grumbling can no longer just be downloading to a friend, but it can be a heart that is becoming hardened. And, and their can't went to, we won't. They despised God. They treated Him as worthless and beneath their consideration. Numbers 14.11 The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs I've performed among them, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of their, these grumbling Israelites. No longer idle words. This was the dug-in heel of rebellion for many of them. We can't. We won't. In spite of the miraculous signs, they wouldn't believe. So, you know, at this point, I just, I just want to say, I, with all the things in the world that need to be addressed and all of the, the big topics that need to be confronted, from Scripture and all of this, is this worth our time? And I mean, it is. Instinctively, we know. But is this just a, a nice homily on a lovely Sunday morning church service? Is it relevant? The Apostle Paul, as we move forward many years to the church, we are in the age of the church. The Apostle Paul to the believers in Corinth says, 1 Corinthians 10.10, and do not grumble as some of them did. And of course, he's referring to the very stuff that we've just read. Do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by this destroying angel. So there was a lot of hard consequences that happened because of their grumbling. These things happened to them as examples, 
and I'll just add to us, they, they happened as examples and were written down as warnings. Examples and warnings. We were not called to bellyache. Bert, you were not called to bellyache and wallow in self-deceit and unbelief. You were created for faith and you were created for action in that faith. You were created for promised land. God, you know, sometimes it seems to them like God's withholding the promised land from us. And God's like, why won't you get ready for the promised land that I want to give you? He longs. The concept that God is cheering you on is sometimes so different than maybe we've been guilty in the church of giving the impression of God. God wants you to win. He sent Jesus so that you could win. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, and you were the joy set before Him. He wants me to win. God is pulling for us. He died for us, and He, he longs for His people. A grumbling, murmuring spirit will keep us stuck, stuck in unbelief, in victim, blaming the whole world and even God, and never taking responsibility to move forward in faith that my God is able and though I am weak, He is strong and I will follow Him. Jesus saw grumbling as serious. Don't grumble, or James rather. James saw it. James 5.9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So it's really, really serious. James is saying this grumbling thing, you're going to be judged for this. It's going to have horrible consequence and bad effect in your life. So now we're finally getting, for you uh, dictionarians, we're getting to some definitions. I might have made that word up. I'm not sure. So there's a new one for the the dictionary, dictionarians. Um, The Greek word here means to sigh, to groan. So he says, don't grumble. The Greek words, to sigh, to groan, to murmur, it's to pray inaudibly. It means to pray inaudibly. So you know that not all prayers are to God, right? (laughs) Um, To pray inaudibly um, with grief and grudge. Holding a grudge, you know, that that concept of holding a grudge and, and holding, contending for a hill. And uh, the Oxford Dictionary, the word grumble derives in part from a French word, uh, grommelier. It's to muster, mutter to oneself. And it also applies to animals. So animals also, grommelier. It means murmuring, snuffling, growling between their teeth. And so there's something animalistic about grumbling. It differs from arguing. Arguing is is more mental, rational, maybe, enlightened, possibly. But but grumbling is bodily. There's a posture, and it's interesting. If you look up grumbling just for fun, and I did it. I plugged it into a search engine, and I put grumbling pick, because I just wanted to see. Right across the board, it always has a demeanor that comes with it, a a look on the face, or a, a body language, or a There's a posture that comes with it. And we know the posture. We all know that posture. We've either had it 
maybe we've all had it at one moment or other. I have. Or we've seen it. Grumbling posture. It's, it's bodily. Uh, in the 18th century, I discovered from Oxford, you could describe yourself as grumbless, full of grumbles. And there's a good one for parents. You can talk to your kids. Boy, are you ever grumbless this morning? You're just full of grumbles. In the 19th century, you could have the grumbles. So you have the grumbles. I can see that. So it's just not the loud outward stuff that God was concerned about. It was the unexpressed feeling of bitterness and smoldering resentments. It was the stuff underneath, the murmurings, the groans, and the sighs. Uh, years ago, we went to the border, and um, the U.S. border. We had a trailer we were pulling from Kingswood University. It was full of sound equipment because we were a music team. The, the driver, who was my roommate at the time, Craig Patterson, who's actually passed on last summer because of a motorcycle accident, um, Craig was one of these kinds of guys that just couldn't hide an emotion. Just, that just, he just couldn't hide an emotion. And so the questions that the border guard asked Craig annoyed him. Well, they annoyed me too, but I'm, I, you know, I'm the expert of image management, so I go to the other side of it, you know, like I'm diplomacy to the max. But he couldn't hide his emotion, and so he answered every question with a little bit of a, oh, yes. And I, and I was looking daggers at him, like, okay, what are you really trying to accomplish here? And every question he answered with attitude. So what did the border guy do? Pull over there. Empty the trailer. And the whole time, he never quit. We were there for like two hours, and I'm like, you are crazy. You, you just cannot see yourself. You cannot see yourself. <laughs> it's this smoldering thing. James said we're going to be judged. We, we need to deal with the issues because there's issues underneath of grumbling. Grumbling hinders the spirit from working. It will destroy unity. It will discourage growing faith. It fosters unbelief. It becomes the culture in the lab that unbelief can grow in. It entrenches our hurts, and it prolongs the healing journey. It, it, it dwells in the untransformed areas of our mind, and it hinders the fruit of the Spirit from developing in me. Grumbling may exhibit itself in the negative words, but that under-the-breath stuff, that the murmuring stuff, the, the seething stuff, it's about the attitude of the heart. And the Word often speaks that God tested their heart. So we're just going to take another little journey. Everybody hold on because we're, we're coming close here. But, but I, I felt that we, we needed to go here. While they're grumbling, there's often a phrase of Scripture that said God was testing. Well, there it is. Of course they were grumbling. Nobody likes tests. God was testing them. Let me read one of the Scriptures. De Deuteronomy 8, 2. There it is. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Okay, he's, he gives some reasoning. To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. So he, he humbled you, and yet he met the need. 
was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Same, you know, there it is in the song. He, he doesn't do it to hurt us. He tested them. Um, whether or not you would keep his commandments, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, um, which neither you or your fathers had known, that's the manna thing, to teach you that the man does not live on bread alone. So here it was. If, if you're going to be a kingdom of priests, if you're going to be this treasured possession, if you're going to be this holy nation, you've got to know where your bread really comes from, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is not easy for me to learn, and it's not easy for us, but in this day and age, we have got to come to the place as his body where we begin to engage with, it's not the world that is my resource, it is God. My source is not here. My source is here. And as long as we constantly look for our source here, we'll be frustrated, we'll be disappointed, we may even grumble and groan. But when we find our source here, our spiritual success happens in the heart before it lives out our hands. Above all else, guard your heart. It's a wellspring of life is what Proverbs says. What is this testing? Is it because God doesn't know your heart? No. It isn't. He knows our hearts. It's because we don't know our hearts. And until we know our hearts, we're not prepared completely for that last song that Pastor Brock led us in. And so there's a process there. We keep, you know, one step at a time. That song is interesting Jesus, all for Jesus, all I have, all, you know, it's one of those songs you maybe sing it every week for the rest of your life and just go a little deeper with the onion skins of what does it mean for us. They didn't know their hearts. Life in the Spirit is about heart change. Victory over temptation is about heart change. Our ministry is to flow out of the heart. The Lord tests us to encourage spiritual growth and bring out the best in us. His testing is to bring good. The devil, he tempts us. He, bring, he tempts us to bring out the worst in us and to encourage us to spiritual immaturity because he wants to tear us from God. He wants to keep us from the blessing of God. While God was testing them, they were tempting him. They were tempting him with their grumbling by their attitude and by their words and, their, and, the, and the groans and murmurs and murmuring and groveling of spirit. While God was testing them, to tempt God means to deliberately adopt a disobedient posture and dare him to do anything about it. And so there are points in Scripture where they crossed the line and they were daring him. The attitude that we take toward our difficulties, and I think this is on the screen, yeah. The attitude that we take toward our difficulties determines which direction life will go. For what life does to us often depends on what life finds in us. So listen, that's a that's a quite a lofty quote. Take a while to think it through. But I'll just say this. God is investing in us to prepare us for the next uphill climb that could be tomorrow. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of all kinds. Because the testing of your faith produces 
because it, it, this is a heart journey. The kingdom of God is here. It's the invisible kingdom of God. Oh, Paul said it's very real. It's more real than what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. But God is building us. He's working in us to bring us into conformity with Christ in the attitudes and actions of my heart. If I will trust God and if I will obey His Word, we, we pass the test and we grow. But in my unbelief, when I complain or grumble or sigh or groan or mutter and disobey, we fail the test and we remain in immaturity and we miss out on the blessings. A grumbling spirit must be repented of and, and abandoned because it, it will never help us accomplish the potential you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. All that he invested in you, we can't get there with this grumbling spirit because it will hijack, it will destroy and tear down. The slave was out of Egypt, and now it was time to get Egypt out of the slave. Complaining doesn't solve problems. If we try to run away from our difficult situations, i.e., run back to Egypt, that's what they wanted to do. That was the place of their original problem. But they but they couldn't handle the hard place that they were in, and it was hard. If we run back to the difficult situations, we'll meet up with the same problems and we'll still have to solve them there. They weren't solving anything. God was their answer. It's time to move on to promised land, Bert, church, of faith and dependence on God. I'd like us to stand if we could. And we're going to sing a song together. You want to put it up there, Chris, if you've got it. I trust and obey. It's a, uh, a beautiful gospel hymn that I grew up with. Many will know it and some may not, but it's, it's a singable tune. But I think it, it sums up, I think it addresses this issue. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. See, trusting and obeying, that's about living in the covenant. That's about walking in the protection under the umbrella of our covenant guide who is our source and our shield. But when we, when we grumble and when we complain and when we live in doubt, there we find ourselves living outside. And God is constantly pulling our hearts to Him. So as we sing, I don't know how God is is speaking to you today. Um, but these are powerful things for us to hear. And if you want to come to a place of prayer, the altars are open. You just do that. You slip out and you talk to God. We want to sort of keep a, a, an altar open heart in our church. And you be obedient to him. Let me pray for you. God, thank you that you're God. Thank you that you teach us. And thank you, God, that you're working in us, even when we don't see it, even when we are in those those valleys, the valley of shadow of death even, thou art with me. And so God, I ask that you would teach us what it means to have hearts that are full of belief, hearts that are willing to walk with you, that we don't dig in our heels, that we don't begin to be filled with contempt and resentment, that we don't murmur against you and we don't murmur against one another, that destroys our unity and hinders the Spirit's work in us. We need you, God, in our life to help us because not everything is right. 
one day you will make everything right. But not everything is right. And there's things we long to be different, but God, we look to you and we walk forward in faith and say, you are God, you are able, and even the hard things you're using to prepare us for the storms tomorrow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's sing it. You respond in your seat. You come to prayer. When we walk with the Lord. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Can we do it, men? Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the sky. But his smile quickly drives it away. Can you take over, ladies? Everyone, trust and obey. For there's no that last verse. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Oh, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust. bow our heads. If you feel to come and pray, you do that. You talk to God right where you are. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for speaking to us today. You are faithful, and uh, we just give this time to you and ask that it would sort of perk in our spirit throughout the week. No doubt it will be tested almost right away, because there's so much that we could grumble about, but you are God, and we are your people. You're building us into a holy nation, uh, a kingdom of priests, um, a treasured possession. We are your bride. We are walking out into the world, and God made the sanctifying influence, made the aroma of Christ. God, so many times 
I think that we've allowed ourselves to be the stench. But Lord, may the aroma of Christ flow through our lives. And God, would you help us to overcome these, these perking under the knee eth on beliefs and victim and, and uh, frustrations that we allow to turn sour and bitter. God, would you address them in our life and set us free to be all that you want us to be and to, to experience this fellowship suite with your spirit and fellowship with one another. We give you praise all in the name of Jesus. We pray it. Amen and amen. Say amen. Lord bless you.